Hello, and welcome to The Sacred and Superstitious, where I'll be taking a weekly look at rituals, folklore, and supernatural creatures from around the world. I'm your host, Daphne Fama. Thank you for joining me today. So, it might not be a secret, but one of my favorite countries in the world is the Philippines. It's a place where my mother was born, and I have so many amazing, irreplaceable memories there. But... It is a country full of superstitions and rituals, and the deeper you go, the stranger things become. And when I tell you there is no... I really, really mean that. I grew up hearing stories about magic, maladies, and monsters, and I even saw the effects of some of that alleged witchcraft myself. And you might think to yourself, isn't the Philippines a Catholic country, Daphne? Surely the Spanish stamped out all the witchcraft, all that strangeness, all those monsters and superstitions and rituals. And, you know, they did try. They tried very hard. But they quickly found out, and it's really well documented, it's almost impossible to get rid of some of those indigenous beliefs. So a lot of them are very much alive today, but maybe not in the way that they were centuries or millennia ago. What that created instead was an amalgamation of the original practices of the people with Catholic influence, making, in my opinion, one of the most unique traditions in the world. Before Catholicism, the Philippines had a myriad of folk religions and were overall animistic. And that means essentially that they believed everything had a spirit. So, for example, a rock or a tree or even natural phenomena had a soul unique to itself. Over time, though, those animistic beliefs became intermingled with Catholic beliefs and created something new. Witchcraft in the Philippines has a variety of names depending on the region. And I should note that the terms I'm using are terms that I grew up hearing, um, terms that came primarily from the Bisayan region, from Tacloban, from Carigara, which is where my family is from. In Tacloban, the people who practice witchcraft are called a swang, and in Manila, they're called mangkukulam. And yeah, yeah, I know that my accent and my pronunciation are really rough. And I expect that's going to be an ongoing trend throughout this podcast. Sorry in advance. Sorry for all the times I mess it up. In the Philippines, malignant witchcraft can take many different types of forms. It might be easier to visualize if you think about it as two major umbrella types. One requires an agent to inflict damage upon a target. And the second requires some sort of representation of the target. Today, I'll be discussing an agent-based form of witchcraft called barong. An aswang or sorcerer, I'll probably just call them sorcerers, who practice barong send small animals or insects into the victim's body to cause illnesses and even death. Yeah, insects. Little animals. Terrifying and gruesome and totally unique to the Philippines and one of the many reasons why I just find this topic so fascinating. It is one of my favorite forms of witchcrafts to discuss, to research, and I'm really glad to be sharing it with you right now. There are a multitude of creatures that these sorcerers use. So they can be jungle centipedes, which are these massive centipedes. They can be bees, they can be wasps, they can be flies, they can be burying beetles, weevils, even small snakes. If it can worm its way into your body, it's a candidate for being an agent of someone who practices barong. There are some that believe that these insects aren't even insects at all, but rather malevolent spirits that these sorcerers have captured, and the insects are simply the forms that these malevolent spirits take. But these insects don't look like ordinary insects. 
They have to have special characteristics or be bred specifically for the purpose of use in witchcraft. So, for example, a burying beetle, which can usually be found in like a rotting body, hopefully, you know, something that died naturally, like an animal or something, uh, must have seven legs instead of six. Fortunately, these insects won't harm anyone unless specifically commanded to by their handler, the sorcerer. But the sorcerer actually needs consent from these little bugs to cause harm to anyone else. So it's like a contract between both insect, the agent, and the master. The sorcerer keeps these insects in either a jar, or he can also keep them in a hollow bamboo tube used specifically for the purpose of holding these insects. He'll then feed them violet ginger, violet rice, and violet gabi. Pretty much any fruit, plant, vegetable. If it's violet, then it's an acceptable thing to feed these malevolent spirits in insect form. And while he's feeding them, the sorcerer will then talk to the insects as if they're pets because it's believed that they have a genuine affection for these creatures. But if the sorcerer has an enemy he wants to do harm to, or more likely, someone's paid him to do harm to someone, he'll begin the barong ritual. On a Friday at noon, ideally near the last phase of the dying moon, the sorcerer makes sure he's alone. He'll write the name and the address of his intended victim on a sheet of paper and drop it into a tube with the little assassin bugs. After some time's passed, he'll see if the insects within the tube have consumed the paper with the victim's name on it. And they have, great. That means they've agreed to kill the victim. If they haven't consumed the paper, it can be for a myriad of reasons. Maybe the insects are unhappy with the sorcerer, maybe he picked the wrong time to perform the barong ritual, or maybe the victim is innocent, or the victim has an amulet protecting them, or some other form of protection. But if the bugs do eat the paper, the sorcerer will put a branch of the moringa tree and say, those who will obey my command may come up. A few bugs may then climb up the moringa branch and then he'll tie either a hair of the victim or a white thread to each of them. If it's a beetle with seven legs, he'll tie the string around the seventh leg. He'll then say to the insects that have volunteered to commit the crime, something like, go and enter the body of Kuya, harm him because he is my enemy. He'll then give the insects the address of the victim as well as the exact description of the victim and the location they're meant to bite. Then the insects are instructed to return the next day. So off the insects scurry, they fly, they crawl, they get to the victim's house however they can get, and they wait for the victim to fall asleep before they enter the chosen orifice. And I think it's important to note here that these insects are invisible. So again, emphasis on the fact that this is witchcraft, that maybe they're malevolent spirits. So even if you wake up, even if you're extra wary, you cannot stop this invisible centipede from entering you. So you won't actually see it or perhaps even feel it as, it as it worms its way inside. So once the insect is inside the victim's body, it begins to lay eggs beneath the skin and then bite the organs the sorcerer specified, like the liver or the intestines, uh, the kidneys, really just anything is doable. The insects then burrow their way out and they return to the sorcerer who can tell if the insects have succeeded in their task by whether the white thread tied around them is bloodied. If the thread isn't bloodied, the sorcerer will keep sending the insect back until the insect succeeds. If the sorcerer really wants this person dead, he'll repeat the same process and send the insects out again. But instead of asking them to return the next day, he'll have them stay until the victim is dead. 
The insects will then only return after they succeed in killing the victim. Just terrible. Imagine dying because you have invisible bugs in you. I just, I can't think of a worse fate. There are other forms of barong though, other forms of insect-based witchcraft in the Philippines. And I think each of them are fascinating. In some instances, a sorcerer will make a doll which has some personal belongings of the intended victim within it. The sorcerer will recite incantations over the doll and then set the insects loose over it. The insects will bury themselves inside the doll and devour it from the inside out. Like a poppet doll, the intended victim will feel the insects burrowing their way inside him and his skin will break out in painful boils. Again, awful, terrible. Who thinks of this, you know? Another form of insect-based witchcraft is called usik. Not all forms of usik use insects, but in this method, the sorcerer uses smaller bugs like gnats or ticks, ants, termites, tiny things, which then crawl into the hair follicles and skin pores of the target. It's an incredibly painful and irritating form of torture, but not as bad as usik dakinut, which uses needles or broken glass instead of bugs. So, I mean, I guess that's worse, isn't it? Victims of barong are usually identified by symptoms that include bleeding, swelling, and pain where the insects were sent to bite, or the symptoms may be based on how the insects entered the body. So, for example, by entering the anus, they can cause hemorrhoids, or if they enter through your ears, they're gonna cause ear aches, through your nose, that's gonna cause severe nosebleeds. And then there are some that say that the insects don't even need an orifice, they can just penetrate right through your skin, which can cause severe itching and eventually wounds. And even if you go to a doctor, that's not going to cure it. Even after getting treatment, the itching and the wound will persist. This isn't something that can be cured by going to a medical doctor, unfortunately. Some say the only people who are affected by barong in the first place are people who didn't believe in God enough. And the only way to cure it then is to really pray and believe in God, to give yourself totally over to him. But then others say the only way to cure it is to go to a traditional healer who practices counter-sorcery. These faith healers, these traditional healers, have a long history in the Philippines. They have been here just as long as people who practice darker forms of witchcraft. When you seek out a healer, you have to make sure that this healer is stronger than the person who inflicted barong upon you in the first place. Because if they're not, no matter what they do, they can't help you. But if you found a really strong faith healer, they can actually send the barong back against the sorcerer if the victim chooses. And why wouldn't you? Why wouldn't you send the killer bugs back to Cinder? I love that. This type of ritual is also called balisong, like the knife, you know? And a lot of things about counter-sorcery is that it's very symbolic, it's very poetic, I love it. So if you're going to send the curse back to the cinder or even just, you know, cure it, what the faith healer does is they have to extract the animal or insect living in the victim's body, either dead or alive. The insect is then wrapped in a black piece of cloth, placed in a pot of water, which contains the sap of the giant taro taro tree, the guso guso tree, and the milk hedge plant. Ask any witch, it matters how you pick these plants. They have to be picked from the west side because the sun sinks in that direction and the objective is to have the sorcerer sink as well. Seven twigs of the balik balik tree are then put into the pot and the rationale behind this is because balik balik means to return in Sibuhano. The liquid in the pot is then boiled using the branches of several species of trees as fuels. These trees are selected because they can cause cramping or they're considered hot trees. Hot in this context means that these trees can be dangerous or even painful, and doesn't this start to sound a little bit like 
maybe not healing, maybe just harming. <laughs> but once the ingredients are cooked and the fuel is consumed, the ritual is finished. The sorcerer who sent the barong will then be stricken with the same symptoms as the victims, as well as fever and stomach troubles, and in some cases, maybe even death. I, I can't, maybe he deserves it. I, I can't really fault the person who sent it back. I, I feel like that might be karma accelerated. Maybe just me. So, say you're in the Philippines, you're trying to avoid being cursed by Barong. Who do you look out for? Who do you not cross? Well, unsurprisingly, most people who do this form of witchcraft try to keep it a secret. But don't get me wrong, there are absolutely people who sell these services, but they sell them through word of mouth. So, for example, you have to have a certain reputation that you can keep secrets that, you know, maybe you're a little unethical yourself, you know, uh, someone who has just as much to lose as a sorcerer who's going to do this for you. Or maybe you're just really rich, you know, that always seems to work. And if you look hard enough, if you, if you don't have reputation to back you, if you don't have money to back you, if you look hard enough, you can find some of these services on the internet. I don't know how legit they are. Most of these sites are sketchy, like Etsy spells sketchy, like really weird Facebook groups sketchy. And then if you find the sites that are just like sites to themselves, they seem abandoned or like they're half completed. I, I just, I wouldn't trust it. I wouldn't email these people. I mean, go for it. I would actually love it if you did it. Please email me telling me what happened because I would love to hear your experiences. But anyway, if you, if you really want those online services, go for it or don't. Wait, that's bad. Don't do that. Don't curse people with, with insects. It's actually terrible. Sorry, bad advice. Anyway, uh, but you know, in small towns, there's always some rumors that someone is a witch. Someone practices the dark craft. Someone practices barong. And in Karigara, my mom's hometown, the people rumored to be practicing barong were actually an older couple. They lived at the edge of town and they kept animals, dead animals and insects in jars, which is weird you know i mean no disrespect to taxidermy no disrespect to like i don't really know what the hobby for bottling things are i see it all the time in horror movies but you know i'm sure there are totally legitimate nice people who also keep specimens in bottles and they are great and not harmful witches um but in the philippines it's a little sauce a little like a little weird and you know people thought they might be practitioners. But the fear of being targeted by this couple kept people from messing with them. And that's usually the case. If you suspect someone's a witch in the Philippines, usually you make best efforts not to cross that person. You let them keep doing their things so long as they are not harming anyone. But there have been cases of vigilante justice in the Philippines. And the, what I'm about to tell you is actually quite sad. It, it's really sad, actually. In between 2016 and 2017, there were actually multiple cases of people being killed because they were suspected of performing witchcraft. In Baguio City, a city in the north of the Philippines, a 67-year-old woman was walking to church when armed men shot her in the back. She immediately died, and people who knew the victim of the shooting said it was well known that she performed witchcraft. One, even if she did perform witchcraft, do you got a shooter? Do you really? What? 
like that's excessive too. What cowards, what cowards to not be able to look this old woman in the face and confront her? Like how much fear did they have of this woman that they had to do it behind her back? I hope they caught these people, I really do. Another case, a 74 year old man was shot by three men in Bulacan after being accused by his neighbors of casting a spell on them and making them ill. Maybe you're just sick. Maybe they, maybe this guy was just sick. I don't know if, if grandpa had to die. Also, again, three men, really? Like you, you couldn't take a 75 year old man. You can't have a discussion. You, you jump straight to shooting a dude with your, with your gang. Terrible, anyway, cowards, again, cowards. And this one is particularly sad. A married couple were shot in their house in San Juan. And what's particularly sad about this is that neither of them were actually thought to have practiced witchcraft. The gunman only killed them because the man happened to be the son of a woman accused of being a witch. And the gunman also then killed the man's mother. Like, why? Why? That's so sad. Like, you've killed innocent people. And I just, I don't understand. Two particularly brutal cases happened in 2013 when a 60-year-old woman suspected of being a witch was beaten to death with a rock. In April that same year, a woman accused of being a witch was stabbed in her sleep and then was allowed to bleed out to death. Heartbreaking. I, I do not advocate for this form of justice at all. I think it's much more reasonable to try to turn a spell back on the person who cast it. Because if you do it that way, one, you are reassured that that person actually did cast a spell on you. Two, that magic is real, dope, awesome, amazing. The world is so much more interesting now. And three, you don't murder someone in cold blood that's innocent. Like, you, you really don't know if it was a spell that affected you in the first place. Maybe you were just sick. And now you've gone and killed some poor grandma or grandpa. And notice also that everyone who's killed is someone who's older. Predominantly, it's people who are women. And... I think that's so strange that we have like this international phenomena where we think of like older women or older people as malevolent, evil, like scheming people, like just because probably they're a little strange, they're a little off and like, don't, don't, aren't we all a little strange? Aren't we all a little off? Do we deserve to die just because we get a little older? Absolutely not. This is terrible. I just, I don't understand the rationale and I can't even say too much because obviously my own mother accused an older couple of being witches and like i can't even imagine the persecution this couple had uh in karigara when my mother was a child you know they must have been ostracized by the community being ostracized by your community when community means so much in the philippines just sad you know but ultimately even though these are really sad cases it's proof that witchcraft is something that's very much alive in the philippines it's something that people fear, that people react irrationally to, that even though the Spanish tried their best to destroy so many of the original beliefs of the Philippines, they're still here. And instead of allowing Catholicism or the church to destroy them, a lot of the times they just actually combine the two. There are many different cases where witchcraft and the Apostles' Creed or Holy Days are combined to make witchcraft stronger. Or some people, faith healers especially, believe that they work with the power of God, that God himself is helping them heal others. And I think that is fascinating. I really enjoy talking about this topic, about Filipino witchcraft, superstitions, monsters, urban legends. There is so much in the Philippines. Barong is particularly gruesome, terrifying, and yet 
I, I would argue that maybe it's not even the most gruesome. There are so many different forms of Filipino witchcraft, and I'm going to go more into that next week, where we'll be discussing a little bit more about agent-based witchcraft and also representation-based witchcraft. So if you enjoyed what you heard today, I hope you come back next week where I'll continue delving into this topic. And then eventually we're going to move on from the Philippines. We're going to look internationally because there are a wealth of of so many interesting superstitions and rituals that I think are completely untouched, unheard of, just unique. And I, I'm so excited to finally share this with someone. All right, thank you so much. This has been The Sacred and Superstitious. I'm your host, Daphne Fama. Thanks for listening.